welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Well, it is an honor and a privilege to be here with you tonight at home. It is like, I don't know, minus four with snow on the ground uh, in Edmonton, and uh, it's just a little chilly, and so it's better to be here. So we just, like, we're just here to warm up, really, and warm up in the natural and warm up in the spiritual as well. It's a good thing. And hey, who, who doesn't love being at church on a Thursday night, somebody? <laughs> Thursday night church is where it is at right now. Uh, uh, just before we jump in any further, I wanted to do something. I wanted to give something away. Um, I brought... Uh, my book, Hope Not Hype With Me, they're available in the lobby, but I feel like somebody just needed this today. Oh, that hand came up real fast. Okay, there you go. We didn't have to throw it, didn't even get awkward. I was going to do some weird activity to make things happen uh, and then conveniently give it to Sydney McGrew who needs it, but that's all right. She'll get it later in the lobby and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Hey, what Pastor Jake said is 100% true. Uh, Pastors Jake and Jen are Probably some of our longest friends in ministry. It all goes all the way back to Richmond, just down the road uh, at a CFCM national conference when we met. And uh, we've been, I don't know, besties, BFFs every week. You don't know this, but I I talk to uh, Pastor Jake on the phone like every week. And uh, it's a good time. Sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on on the emotional status of uh, Pastor Jake or myself. And uh, so it is good to have good friends. I also have with uh, me uh, Pastor Harmon Sharda, who is our next-gen pastor at our church uh, in Edmonton. So why don't you give it up for Pastor Harmon? He's here. And uh, it's so good to have him with us tonight. So uh, we're going to dive into the Bible. Does anybody like the Bible in this place? A couple people. That's delightful. Uh, So I just want to remind you, church is a full contact sport. It's best served with lots of amens, which just means I agree, applause. Wow, that's a good one. Um, Any kind of response, hankies are fine, but we save the questions for later. Those are all handled by Pastor Jake following the service. So if you have a question, just hold on to it. Write it down. Put it in a comment card. You could shoot it straight to the Instagram. Just don't. uh, Let's not wreck the flow tonight. Uh, We're... We're jumping into the subject of the subtle art of living by faith. The subtle art of living by faith. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. All right. Now turn to the other neighbor if you have one, the one that you're trying not to make eye contact with tonight, and be like, you're ready. For some reason, the participation was not as good on that one. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What we have to be incredibly aware of is that Jesus Christ himself, he specializes in taking the broken pieces of our lives and putting them back together. That is his jam, that is his gift, that is his ministry, it is what he does. He works in the messy areas, in the sloppy areas, and he works in the areas that all look nice and and look right. He, he, He works in the midst of the best of times, and he works in the midst of the worst of times. It's what he does. He takes the broken pieces of our lives, and he creates a masterpiece. I think about the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2, where he takes the 
water and he turns it into wine. I think sometimes what he does is he takes the water of our past lives and he turns it into the wine of our new and glorious lives with him. He takes those broken pieces miraculously and he puts them back together. Now, sometimes we think that we have to uh, have run away from God for him to do that, but that is the biggest myth that is perpetuated within the church is that just because I come to church, I've been in church, I've been in faith my whole life, it doesn't mean that I've got broken pieces in my life. But the honest truth is if you believe that tonight, you are deceived. Because we have broken pieces. We have broken parts. Are there people around you? That's not a rhetorical question. It's an actual question. The answer is yes. That means you're in the proximity of pain. Because chances are you have experienced pain because you're near people. Now, what happens when we experience pain is it's a fight or flight response. And so if you get enough hurt or enough pain that happens in your life, you start to create barriers and you start to withdraw. And all of a sudden, the broken pieces, you start to use them as weapons to keep people away from you. You say, you know what? You hurt me. You broke me. You broke my heart. Now I'm going to use it as a weapon of mass destruction against you because if you get any closer, I will Touched you with the broken pieces of my wounded heart. And yet Jesus himself takes the broken pieces of our lives. And he puts them back together. I don't know if you're aware of this Japanese art form known as kintsugi. Anyone aware? Anyone read Magnolia Journal? You don't know? Anyone watch the internet? Um... I don't have a picture of it, but what happens? What happened in Japan, it's an ancient art form, 15th, 16th century, is they would literally take these broken like plates, like imagine your best Ikea plate, $7.99, shatters, and you're like, what now? Now, there's nothing worse than a broken plate. What do you do? You throw it in the garbage, right? What they would do is they would take this very commonplace, very normal pottery, and they would take it, and they would put in a little lacquer, and then they would start to sprinkle in 24-karat gold dust into every crack. So the very thing that once was the embarrassment, the broken piece, now becomes the finest piece of China in the collection. And the truth is, that's what Jesus does with us. He takes, by the power of his Holy Spirit, the broken pieces of our lives, and he begins to put them back together. And then he sprinkles in the gold, which is his love, his mercy, and his grace. And so now the thing that once caused us shame is now the thing that brings glory to his name. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. My God, thank you. For we are God's masterpiece. He has create us, created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Did you see it? Did you catch it? Did you get it? We are God's masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a masterpiece. You're not good at the participation thing. We need to try this again and turn up the volume. Say, I am God's masterpiece. masterpiece. My God, thank you, Sydney, for participating tonight. I thought you only did that on stage. Anyways. Oh, shots fired. We are God's masterpiece. 
that we are his masterpiece in spite of our current relational status, in spite of our current employment status, in spite of any uh, circumstantial conditions that you have put on his love. He does not put those things on you. You put those things on you. You are his masterpiece. In fact, scripture tells us, he goes one step further, not only are we his masterpiece, but we are his inheritance. Like, you know, when you're looking forward to inheritance, you're looking to something to, to inherit something after somebody dies. You know what God gets? He gets us. We are what he is looking forward to in eternity. In other words, you are what he is looking forward to in eternity. Now, you can barely tolerate yourself here, and yet God is waiting to spend eternity with you You are his masterpiece and the broken edges he takes and he rounds them off and he takes the broken pieces and he puts them back together. Yeah, I think of Isaiah 64. He is the potter. We are the clay formed by his hands. Formed. By his hand. So the most expensive painting that ever sold at market sold for around $450 million U.S. Crazy, right? One painting, $450 million, and it's ugly. (laughs) So ugly. It's painted by Leonardo da Vinci, and it's supposed to be Jesus, but it looks like Jesus is dressed like Mona Lisa. And now I don't know if that was like on purpose or a mistake or like he started Mona Lisa. He's like, well, uh, let's put some facial hair on him. We'll call it Jesus. Uh, So it's Jesus and he's holding an orb, which is supposed to represent the universe. So there's Jesus holding this orb and it's the universe. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole. Anyways, and that painting sold for $450 million. Now, the thing that 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 talks about the value of these masterpieces of, of this painting, there's a couple conditions that go around it. One of it, one of those conditions is that there is only one. That's what is a part of its value. There is only one. That's what factors into the pricing. There's limited copies. There are no copies. In fact, there is only one. There is one original. The second factor in pricing this out is who painted it. It was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. So Leonardo da Vinci paints this one picture of Jesus, his masterpiece. And on the open market, because it was discovered later, so it's a rarity, it uh, it was discovered way after Mona Lisa. Uh, Are you looking at the painting? It's ugly, right? Anyways, don't Google in church, Pastor Jake. Put your phone down, sir. Put your phone down, sir. You just killed the flow. So this painting is worth $450 million because of who painted it, because there's only one, because of the rarity of it. Now think about that for a moment. You are God's Masterpiece, look at your fingers for a moment. Look at your fingers, your hands, your fingertips. What you will discover about your fingertips is that's the only set of fingerprints in the world that look like that. And they belong to you. 
So every single time you look down at your hands, now you might not love your hands, you, not, you might not like your hands. I think my hands are great. Pastor Harmon told me my hands are very soft, so that was nice. Um, just born with it. Some of us are just born with it. But every time you look down at your hands, you can be reminded of this one fact that you are a masterpiece, a one-of-a-kind masterpiece, hand-created at the hand of the master because your fingers are a reminder of the goodness of God that you are made one-of-a-kind. There's no one else like you. So when you were created, you were created in his image. So stop trying to create yourself in somebody else's image. Right? I'll get back to the message. In John chapter 10, we discover that there is an enemy, a threat, a thief. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy, but my purpose, meaning Jesus' purpose, is to give them a a rich and a satisfying life, them being us. But the thief's purpose, the enemy of our soul, his purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. If you go back to the original Greek, you will find that the word steal is actually the word klepto, where we get the word kleptomaniac. But the implication of the word in the original language is that it wouldn't just be like, oh, someone just stole something from me. It's that somebody stole something from me without me even knowing it. It's like getting pickpockets. Has anyone been pickpocketed before? Anyone? Thank God. I have not either. Uh, but they, you just, someone bumps into you and all of a sudden you're like, where's my, I don't, where's my wallet? It's just gone. But you don't realize it often until it's too late. The implication here is simple. That the enemy of your soul is trying to steal something from you, most likely your identity, your God-given identity and purpose. And he does it without you even knowing it. And one of the tools in his toolbox is a thing called comparison. Because you look at somebody else and you say, I can never measure up. I can never add up. I can never become that. I don't have that gift set. I don't have that skill set. And all of a sudden it it begins to start stealing your joy from the things that God has placed in your life. And you begin to devalue the gold that Jesus placed inside of you. But every time you devalue the thing that he places inside of you, unintentionally, you're actually devaluing him. Because you're not saying that you're not enough. You're saying, Jesus, you didn't give me enough. Therefore, you are not enough. Therefore, my God becomes the person that I follow on Instagram and not Jesus Christ himself. And then he comes and tries to kill you. He comes to steal and to kill. Now, to kill means to make a sacrifice or an example of. He comes to make an example of you, to sacrifice you so that others will be where. But this last one is the most significant. In the original language, the word destroy means to render useless to render useless the greatest deception facing us as believers is simply us living within a kingdom of comfort this is nice this is good my life's good got good relationships. I've got good people in my life. 
man, are, are you pursuing your dreams? Well, you know, it just, like, didn't God give you a word to go and pursue that thing and do that thing? Yeah, he did. And, you know, I just realized that this is good. The greatest enemy of your soul is good. Because good says that I'm okay. Good says I'm enough. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm enough. It's time for you to step out of your enough and time for you to step into I'm enough because Jesus is more than enough. When we, when, we, when, we, when we sacrifice ourselves and we lay our lives down for good, we say, the call of God in my life is good as long as I can control it. As long as I can drive, you know that license plate, God is my co-pilot? Sir, ma'am, incorrect. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hand. Right? That was powerful. We could all go home right after that. No, no, no. Jesus, Jesus drives my life. I want to live a kind of life that requires me to live by faith. To live by faith says I can't do it on my own. I have to follow Jesus. And how do I do that? It's so hard to follow Jesus. No, it's really simple to follow Jesus. We follow Jesus one step at a time. Step by step. One step at a time. That's how we follow Jesus. What we do is we come up with our own plan, our own strategy, our roadmap to success. And we get so overwhelmed by all the steps that we have to accomplish that we have stopped before we even get started but with Jesus he says it's really simple he says I'm the way well I don't know how to get there I'm the way I'm the sign I'm the truth no 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 Jesus there's like this person says I should really go in this direction hold on I'm the truth I'm the truth he's the way he's the sign (laughs) he's the truth Lest we forget he is the life. Jesus, I don't think I'm enough. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can make it happen. Right, you never could. But imagine what happens when I breathe the breath of life on the very dream that you thought was dead. And that's when we start to see dead people come to life. Because they begin to step into the calling and into the life and into the purpose that Jesus has for them. It was never for you to make happen so I could do it for him. Maybe the greatest deception of a generation is that I have to do something for God. That was not the intent. The original intent goes all the way back to the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the day. They would walk and talk with God. The greatest intent was not that we would go and do something for God, but that we would be in relationship with him and do things with him. So we follow Jesus one step at a time. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to do the math. We don't have to cost it out. We don't have to price it out. We just have to do this one thing. But I don't know what comes next. You don't have to know what comes next. You just have to know who you're following. You know what's really interesting is that the value of art is super subjective. Like sometimes you look like I look at that painting worth $450 million. I'm like, wow, that is so ugly. But you go to Ikea. 
and you see that picture from London with the red double-decker bus and everything's faded in the background, you're like, I just need that in my life. It speaks to my dreams. <laughs> it's because every person that I know has probably had that painting in their house at some time or another, mostly not because it's nice, but because it's cheap, right? It's like, but art is so subjective. What you think is great, someone else doesn't like. What, what artist or song you like, somebody else doesn't like. Like I you know, accidentally slipped Kanye into our pre-service playlist at church. Kanye West. Some people like it, some people don't like it, but hey, who can I argue? Jesus is king. <laughs> it's completely, some people are like, I don't understand what you're talking about. It's all right, pray about it, it's fine. <laughs> Art is subjective. Art is subjective. But your identity in Christ is not. Art is subjective, but your identity in Christ is not your value has already been established. The value of your life, the price has already been set. And in fact, the price has already been paid. I, I don't know if you know this one, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus paid the ultimate price. In fact, God paid the ultimate price by sending Jesus to die for you, which means that your price has already been established. The most valuable commodity on the face of the earth gave his life for you. Your value has been established. But friends, can I tell you, can I tell you, you don't feel worthy, but guess what? You were never worthy, but you were always worth it. So your value's already been established. God, I don't think I'm enough. Hold on, no, you're, you're not enough. You could never be enough. But when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, your value's already been established. You are a chosen son or daughter of the king. Your value has already been established and so the attack is on our identity and it causes us to think or to believe that we could never measure up now my suggestion tonight is that we wholeheartedly embrace that thought so you're right I never could measure up you see because Romans 5 and don't worry it's not in there don't panic in Romans 5, it says that Jesus came at just the right time. In fact, it describes my situation as when I was utterly helpless, Jesus came at just the right time. Oh, you mean Jesus didn't die for like the Sunday morning version of me who wears my fancy slacks? No. He died for the hot mess version of you, the part that you don't let anyone see out in public because you're like, if people knew what I was like on the inside, they would not serve me coffee at church. He died for that part of you. He also died for the Sunday slack part of you. He also died for the at the office kind of you. He also died for the at school kind of you. He also died with that for the version of you that hangs out with your friends. He died for every version of you. And he died for the best and the worst parts of you because he loves you no matter what. You think that if you could just perform a little bit better, he might love you a little bit more. But in the midst of your mess and your pain and your brokenness, he says, I take the broken pieces. I put them back together. But guess what? The world says, after I put you back together, you're my masterpiece. But I said, from the moment I created you, you were my masterpiece. And the rest of the other stuff is just details. Hmm. Let's just jump over to... 
Colossians chapter 2. Second chapter of the book of Colossians. In verses 6 and 7. Do we have any paper Bibles in the house, by the way? How many paper? My God. I can tell you, at our church, when we have three, we call that revival levels. So I don't know what levels we're at right now, but my goodness, the glory is breaking through. I'm reading out the New Living Translation, the preferred translation of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. You begin to overflow with thankfulness. What an interesting thought that my thankfulness is therefore not connected to the circumstances of my life. But my thankfulness is directly connected to the foundations of my life. That as my foundation is established and as I let my roots grow down into Jesus and I let my roots grow down into his love that all of a sudden thankfulness begins to bubble up and overflow in my life that it begins to change how I look and I listen can I tell you this the, the greatest thing we had this girl in our church and she worked at Starbucks and she was the grumpiest human being that you've ever met on the face of the earth grumpy cat face at all times, like just not happy. And at work, you know when things get really busy in a rush at Starbucks and then you just start snapping at people because it's just like things are moving. It just start, that She was her and she could rip you your soul to shreds like in a minute. And she started coming to church because someone from our church invited her to church and she said yes because her and her son had nothing in their schedule in the Sunday morning time slot and she wanted to get out. So she brought her son to church, checked him into the thing and she just sat in the service because because at least it was one hour with a cup of good coffee by herself and some other people. And trust me, nobody wanted to be near her because of the face. So she starts coming to church. But can I tell you, after you start coming to church for a while and you're in an environment where the name of Jesus is worship and his presence is there and it becomes almost tangible and people love you in spite of your grumpy face and your bad attitude and your poorly behaving child you come to a new place because your heart begins to open up and guess what happened she slipped up her hand at the end of a service one day say yeah I'm going to accept Jesus into my life what started as a calendar filler became a life-changing game-changing moment when she slipped up her hand but can I tell you what happened we started getting reports. She started coming to our New Believers small group, and she didn't know what was going on, but all these people at work started coming up to her and saying, are you okay? Are, are, you, are you all right? And she's like, yeah, I'm great. Why? Because you're happy. And they would pull her aside in the back room, and they'd go, um, what are you taking? She's like, they're like, you know, you're pretty up and down before you take it. Like, did you go to the doctor? Real conversation. She's like, no. They say, well, you just like, you don't snap at us the same way. You don't like, in fact, it's kind of weird because your face, like, you look happy. There's, what? 
So she came to our Bible study, and she's like, New Believers Group, and she's like, yeah, people keep saying weird things to me. Like, they keep saying that, um, like, they're asking me if I'm okay. Can you tell me what's happening? And I'm like, yeah. Your life is now built on Jesus. You let your roots grow down into his love, and you didn't know it. But as you put your trust in him, his love started flowing into you, and it started changing you. And it started changing your personality. And it started changing the way you responded to situations and circumstances. It started to change your face. Jesus can change your face. There's that moment, right, when Moses goes up into the presence of the Lord and he comes back down and he's glowing. And people are like, you're terrifying. You know what? In the New Testament context, I'm convinced that that looks like lives being changed by the whole power of the Holy Spirit. Where a grumpy face turns into a smiling face. Where an, an attacking demeanor turns into an encouraging demeanor without even understanding or realizing it because the mechanics of what is happening is Colossians chapter 2. Without her understanding it in a, in a theological terms, her roots went down into Christ's love and it began to nourish her soul. And as her soul was nourished, she became overflowing and overwhelmed with thankfulness and thanksgiving. So she couldn't find a negative word or a negative phrase or a negative comment to make because she was so thankful because though she didn't know it, Jesus started to nourish her life. So I guess the question for us as believers is, what's wrong with our root system if we're okay with finding the negative word, phrase, or thought? So maybe I didn't put my roots down deep into Jesus. I put my roots down deep into an ideology of theology. And I say ideology of a theology because we just love the way that we were doing it, that our roots went down into our method instead of into our source. I understand if I'm not invited back tomorrow night. So let your roots grow down deep into his love, and you will overflow with thankfulness. And as your roots grow down into him, he begins to nourish you. But what you will discover is as he begins to nourish you, the real you begins to come out. Because you've been convinced that you know, that nobody knows you like you. And the truth is, the only person that knows you better than you is Jesus himself. Because he handcrafted you, created you as his masterpiece. You know, there's a whisper that has flown throughout history. It's a whisper that can be heard. In the garden when the serpent comes to Eve and God says don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you will be like God in your understanding. And the serpent comes to Eve and says did you hear that? Did you understand that? If you eat that you will be God. The whisper says ah you will be God. The same whisper that spoke to Cain that says I'm not my brother's keeper. To Saul that said, you could make a sacrifice whenever you want because as long as it's worship, it's okay. You don't have to wait for the direction. It's the, the whisper that was felt when David said, you know what? At the time that kings go to war, I'm going to stay home. And uh-oh, Bathsheba. 
It was the whisper that was felt by a zealous Saul who says, I'm here to protect and preserve the truth. And he began to murder Christians until he had an encounter with Jesus. And the whisper was turned into a whimper. Tonight, I want to help you turn that whisper into a whimper because we all experience the whisper that says, we're not enough, we're not good enough, Jesus can't do anything with you, he won't do anything for you, you know what, that works for them, but it won't work for you. That's a lie. Get this in 1 John 3.20. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. God is greater than our feelings, even if we feel guilty. This was in the parameters of how we could approach God with sin in our lives. And people were stopping. This is, this is an, uh, an apostolic letter by John, the beloved, who's writing to the people saying, don't stop coming to God because you think that you're not good enough. He died for you. He paid the price for you. Don't let the guilt over a situation stop you from coming, from confessing, from being wiped clean. Don't let it stop you from being transformed by the everlasting love of Jesus. But like, if he only knew, friends, he already knows. But here's the amazing thing. God is greater than our feelings. He's greater than our guilt. He's greater than our emotions. He's greater than our insecurity. God is greater. He's greater than the whisper that says you're not enough. You'll never be enough and you could never become. God is greater than our feelings. Your calling is greater than your feelings. So who have I put my faith in? Jesus or in my insecurity in my emotions? Just turn to somebody and say, the devil is a liar. <laughs> wow, we all whispered that. The devil is a liar. Because he's coming to steal something from you and you didn't even know that he did it. In fact, you willingly gave it to him because you were convinced that in the midst of your insecurity, he could do nothing with you. But he took it from you because he saw the potential that was placed in you by Jesus. And so he took something from you that he knew that could be used against him. God is greater than your feelings in the very area that you have been stolen from in is the very area that will be used to knock back that enemy so he just took it from you before you could use it against him when we think about art and the greatest masterpieces we could define art in its simplest context is self-expression, right? Art is self-expression. No matter what the medium is, it's an expression of self. But think about this. Faith is my self-expression of my confidence and trust in Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. 
If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.